0: You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back. Listen, I'm going to cut right to the chase because one of the reasons these podcasts don't come out as often as they should is because I obsess about trying to do them right. And sometimes I re-record these intros 15 times, trying to like get everything in the right order. And I'm gonna cut right to the chase. I'm gonna have a conversation with Ryan Bell. I reconnected with my friend Ryan Bell, who is now, among other things, the new humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California, where I was. And a number of people, when they saw that announcement somewhere, were like, How do you feel about that? And I thought, well. I feel great, but let me call Ryan and we'll talk about it and then people will see how great I feel. And so I think it's a really good conversation, but I almost didn't post it because I don't have time right now to edit it and in the middle of it, I go off in a direction where I just sound stupid. And like, I would love to get it out of there. I mean, what happens is, is that, in in one of these flights of uh talking about how people learn stuff and everything and 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 you know engaging with young people i sort of do this thing where like within a community we you know we sign up to help raise each other's kids and ryan's like whoa wait a second i've been in some communities you don't trust everybody and what about boundaries and i'm not sure i want to be part of a thing where like i seed any kind of control and i was like oh I realized, like, I sounded like a moron. But I don't have the technical expertise or the time at this moment to go back and, like, deftly edit that out so I don't sound like an idiot. So. At first, I was prone not to post it, partly because I went and saw. Last week, I went and saw another podcaster do a live podcast, a guy named Mike McCarg. They call him Science Mike. And he and I have been emailing back and forth. He's a really interesting guy. Like, he was fully Christian, and then he went fully secular. And now he's had some sort of like reconnection with a Christian identity. Although, when you listen to him talk, he sounds like a pure naturalist. And so, who uses some Christian language? So I I haven't like totally nailed him down yet, but I went to see him and oh my gosh, he has like a huge following. 500 people show up at this church to hear him do his podcast and to ask him questions and he was brilliant. And I don't just mean like he's a smart guy. I mean, he was, the way he handled the crowd, the way he ran the event, the way he paused at certain points when he didn't know what he wanted to say and just stopped and, and was willing to let 500 people watch him stand there and think for a minute it was just, it was virtuoso. And I just thought like, I said to Marty afterwards, I said, wow, that guy is so much better at what we do than I am. And a part of me was so intimidated. I thought, I, I, I can't compete with that. And then another part of me was inspired. and was like, I don't have to compete with that. Even if he's way better than me. Like, there's always somebody better than you at something. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean, that like, like, does that negate the fact that a lot of people write to me and say that the conversations that we're having on this podcast and the tone and the w- approach we're taking is being helpful to them? It doesn't. So, you know, I, I thought, I've got to do that. I'm going to learn that thing. I'm going to pause more often and think about what I say Before I say it, maybe if I did that more, I wouldn't do stuff like the stupid thing I did in this next conversation with Ryan Bell where I talk like an idiot. So I got some learning to do. But I'm not going to learn if I don't keep doing. And I'm not going to do if I keep thinking that everything has to be perfect before I put it out there in the universe. So I'm putting out this conversation that is not perfect. And also, I'm not going to mess with this long introduction this time. Like if you want to know about the podcast or if you're interested in getting some counseling or some coaching in some relationship issue or some deconversion issue um, or if you want to know about the movie which came out and I just went to the premiere in Philadelphia and it was amazing to watch how it affected people, both believers and non-believers who were inspired by seeing the portrayal of a relationship of deep difference in the context of great love which is this movie. uh, It's called Leaving My Father's Faith, and you can find out about it on the website or through campolofilm.com. Anyway, there, I've I've said everything. Like, You want to connect with me? You want to find out about anything I'm doing? Go to the website, bartcampola.org. And this podcast isn't perfect. And I was inspired and intimidated by my friend Science Mike. That's all I've got to say. So this is me and Ryan Bell having what I consider to be a really encouraging conversation. And uh, and maybe in the middle of it, uh, some really cool stuff about how all of us maybe need to think more about engaging young people. And then on the other side of that cool thing, um, me being really stupid. Here you go, coming at you. Me and Ryan Bell, I hope you like it. What's it like being the humanist chaplain at USC? Um, to, I'm not sure yet. To to be the, to be this, I always used to say I was the first humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California. Now you're the you're the second humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California.
0: Well, the thing is, I've always been second in my life. You know, I've never I've always wanted to have like the top grades in my high school and college i always wanted to be first in my class i always came in second i ran track in high school always came in second so i'm used to it bart i'm used to being second playing second fiddle
1: well in this case in this case though it's it's more like it's more like you've supplanted or you you've, you've <laughs> you you you, you've, you you've, you've 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 assumed the you know you've 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 shoved me off the, the throne as it were yeah, I really was working
0: behind the scenes with the administration to get you out of there.
1: Yes, yes, it was, it was a nefarious <laughs> plot. No, like, <laughs> no, seriously, like, when did when did the the idea of you being of you going to work there or like not going to work, not like they're paying you, unfortunately, but like, when did the idea of you having a role at USC come into the picture?
0: It was right around the same time that I was um, interviewing for the job I have now at Secular Student Alliance. Um, I've known Varun Sony for probably seven or eight years. Uh, Off and on, we've had interaction uh, in the interfaith community. When I was a pastor in Hollywood, um, I was on the Interreligious Council of Southern California for a number of years on the executive board, and I was also an active member of the, uh, what was it called? Uh, Abrahamic Faith's peacemaking initiative, which he wasn't so much a part of. And then the Gay and Lesbian yeah, Center. Yeah, because he wasn't of the a- Abrahamic
1: Faith. And now that's right. you are not either. So. And now I'm
0: not either. You yeah, so are, I'm not now, now you of could of be that.
1: part of the non-Abrahamic Faith Peace Council. Peace ma- yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> and then I, I also uh, was briefly on a task force for the LGBT Center of Los Angeles where they were looking at faith-based um, outreach and that was after I had left the church. But my friend who uh, was heading that up, an employee at the time, he's moved on now, but at the time he was the employee, uh, an employee of the LGBT center, uh, was also a former Adventist had known me for years when I was a pastor and we had interacted a bunch. And he was like, I want you to be on this task force. And I was like, but you know, I'm not in a faith-based environment anymore. And he's like, that's okay. We need, you know, the non religious viewpoint as well. So, so anyway, that we held a couple of the meetings, uh, at USC and I was sort of back in Varun's life again at that point. And we've had conversations off and on. So when Vanessa became the associate Dean at USC, uh, the first humanist, uh, to be sort of in, uh, an academic administrative position, um, there, at, actually at any school, um, in the she re- yeah, in
1: the re- in the in the religious life world, yeah,
0: yeah, in the religious life world, and uh, a non-believer uh, heading up the office of religious life, um, when I started at USC, she and I started um, emailing a little bit, and I wanted to meet her because I knew that you had the secular student fellowship um that you had started up at or had sort of taken the mantle of that when you were the humanist chaplain and sort of turned it into something much more. Community-based and supportive of the students' lives. So anyway, I thought, well, where she's calling me because she wants me to talk about SSA and the SSF at at USC. And when I got there, we talked about that. But then they also asked if I would consider this other role. So that took me by a surprise. Actually, I had no idea that they were headed down that path.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because I mean, you had just taken over as um, what's your title with the secular student alliance
0: so i'm the national organizing manager which sounds like a whole lot of mumbo jumbo but basically it means that it's it's sort of basically i'm the program manager for the for the secular student alliance there's really only four there's four staff at the moment so it's a small operation uh, but myself and two others lead all of the programming side so
1: Trying to we send the, stuff to the people that are leading these chapters to help them lead them better.
0: Yeah, we're on the phone with them. I mean, we probably, the three of us cumulatively have eight or 10 phone calls a day with different chapter leaders around the country, helping them organize events, uh, strategize ways to grow their group, um, make it more um, appealing and winsome for others that would want to join them, um, to brainstorm very various different types of activities that they could do. Um, So that, you know, that ranges depending on the region. So in the South, especially, there's a lot of uh, religious intensity and a lot of misunderstanding and discrimination against people that don't have religious faith. Uh, So a lot of the activities in that part of the country are more focused around separation of church and state, normalizing the experience of being a non-believer, you know, just simple events like Hug an Atheist Day where they put out a booth, it, on campus once a year, twice a year. And they're like, Hey, give me a hug. I'm an atheist. You know, it's just like, see, you didn't die. You did. You know, you, lightning didn't strike you. You're, you're going to be fine. So those little things, um, are, seem silly on the surface, but they actually go quite a ways to helping students that have never met or they think they've never met an atheist. Yeah. yeah. Now they realize, Hey, one of my friends in class is an atheist. It's sort of like, okay, that's that's a viewpoint that a person can have and still be a good person.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it's funny. I was on I, I, I was at UC the other day and ended up having this long conversation with this young woman about Darwin because mm. it was Darwin's birthday, right? And, and so you know we were just sort of like our stop line was like, you know, hey, can I ask you one true false question about Charles Darwin? And everyone's like, sure, you know. And then like, <laughs> right. you know, it's like. Darwin once ate a giant tortoise and they were like, no. And I was like, yeah, he did, you know, or like, you know, Darwin was an atheist and they're like, yeah, I was like, no, he was actually, you know, like the most he could go is agnostic cause he didn't want to upset his wife. You know, right. or, you know, or, or Darwin <laughs> lost his faith when he, after discovering evolution and they would be like, yeah, that's true. And i be like, no, actually it was after his three kids died. Um, you know, like, <laughs> That'll do it. You know, like it was, it was just, you know, but, but in any case, this girl sort of engaged about talking about dark. We had this like five-minute conversation about like science and all this stuff. And then she like looked at the sign that my, the students that I was with, the secular student fellowship that you see. Right. And they looked at the sign and she was like, oh, what is that? And I was like, oh, you know, it's like a youth group for people who want to pursue goodness but don't believe in God. And she was like, that's really cool. She was like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't sign up for that because, like, I, I, I am a believer. But, like, it's been great talking to you. And, like, you know, she, and like talked a little bit more, and then she went on. And the kid next to him was like, well, that was a waste of time. Like, because she didn't join the church, the, the group. I was the like, group,
0: Almost like joining the right. church, yeah.
1: And I was like, no, that was a great encounter. Like, she'll be, like, on her hall. Some kid, she'll find out they're secular, and she'll say, oh, I know a group you should join. Right. Like, like, like she now is like, that's a, that's a, that's a victory, you know, just because right. we had a wonderful encounter. And, um, and, and he was like, yeah, she was kind of cool. And I'm like, see, and it worked on you too.
0: Like, mm. you know, like,
1: <laughs> like, like, that was a good encounter. Um, right. So I can see where the hug and Atheist Day, especially like if you're at like the University of Chattanooga or something, I can see where that would be a really good thing
0: right and we have uh one of our very active chapters is at moorhead state in kentucky which is rural kentucky and it's you know the buckle of the bible belt you know it's like the the heart of it and you know they just valiantly stand they're the sweetest kids this is the thing about it that these young people are the perfect ambassadors for secularism because they're just nice kids they're just Sweethearts, you know they're not the wizened old, you know, angry skeptic on the behind his keyboard. You they don't know, want to like, go f-
1: debate everybody and
0: yeah, they really don't. I mean, they will if put into that position, but th- that's not their objective. Is to like rip your faith from your soul and leave you squirming on the ground. You know, they're. They they are saying, look, no, just let me be me and I'll let you be you yeah, and we yeah. can learn about each other. You know, we've had an uptick this semester in interfaith stuff. So we have two at least two of our chapters who have led interfaith efforts on their campus as secularists. And then one other chapter that's participated very actively in a campus wide interfaith event that the um, the campus Um, the president's office actually, in most cases is the one spearheading these diversity efforts. Um, so, you know, so we have students that are not only creating loving community for people like themselves on campus, but then reaching out beyond their group to the wider campus to say, uh, I'd like to understand you, please understand me, you know, that kind of, yeah, it's good stuff.
1: You know, it's interesting. I, last uh, week, I was back in Philadelphia wh- for this premiere screening of this movie that my friend John Wright made about my dad and me. Right? And Can't wait to see it. It's it's interesting. Like I hadn't seen it. Like <laughs> like I had seen a rough cut without music, mm. and then and then it was it was it was edited really differently, and then there was music and it and like it's it's funny. Like people who know about movies as you do know that like the music. Changes all the emotions in the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. What was just a flat performance is now something really engaging.
1: Yeah, and so I didn't know what to expect. My dad was terrified. He was, like, worried that it would make him look bad or something like that. And I I knew that this filmmaker had no interest in making anybody look bad. But we went to it, and there were, like, 250 people in this movie theater. And most of them were Christians. Yeah. And after it was over, like— there was a Q&A and then, you know, you talk to people and people, they were not the secular people there and the Christian people. Nobody was like, we won. It was all about, <laughs> that was inspiring to see a loving conversation between people who think differently. It was like what thrilled them was to see people really disagreeing right. in a loving way and trying to understand the other person, rather than going like like actually going like, wait, but wait, what about like really trying to understand? You know, because like my dad and I really do love each other, right? Um, but but I, I was it was it was really interesting because I think that that's what like on those college campuses where those kids are doing the interface stuff, mm. the idea that they would go and go like, I want to understand, not like I want to attack. Not, I want to. Con- I want to convince or rip this away from you. I just want to understand how how this works for you, because like right. you have, you know, we share a lot of the same values, and like my values are underpinned by this foundation. Like, instead of talking about like why you have that foundation, I'm really mm-hmm. interested in how that foundation generates your values. Sure. And yeah, like, no, it's like, great. It's sort of like there's three layers. Like, there's the value. There's the worldview that generates it. And then there are the reasons why you adopted that worldview. Mm. And that mm-hmm. lowest value is just like, that's just not a very interesting place to talk because like most people aren't even that, most of us aren't even fully aware of why we believe what we believe.
0: Sure. And you know, if you have time and energy and interest, it is fun to explore those fundamental sort of underpinnings, but they're not, like you say, essential to live a good life. Like you don't have to have a master's degree in philosophy to be a good person, thankfully. Otherwise, we'd all be a bunch of jerks. Um, it's bad enough as it is.
1: Yeah, and sometimes when a person's beliefs and their identity are wrapped up in each other, like <laughs> you know, where, where where they almost can't separate themselves from, then if you start to under if you start to like question the reason they believe that, you're really questioning like like them, and like yeah. it's, it's like they feel it. They feel attacked as a human being. But if you say to them how does that belief generate this value like like mm. like like what is it that how does christianity make you what does it make you want to do or you you seem to care about this like how does that relate to your faith they're like oh that i can talk about easily like that's inter- like t- yeah, i'm happy to tell you about how my christianity works how it functions but right. if you start to if you start to question its validity It's like Mm. you're questioning. It's like you're you're attacking me. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. People have a hard time separating that. I think it's like a lot of things. We would like the people that we are criticizing to be able to separate those things, but when someone criticizes us, we find it hard to separate those those things. And and it's just not useful. I mean, to me, I'm I'm constantly asking myself, what is it I want to accomplish? You know, what's the goal? And you know, when it comes down to it, the goal for me really isn't that everyone has the same philosophical frame that I have or that they have these underpinnings that you're talking about. Like at the end of my life, on my deathbed, I'm like, well, I got 87 people to adopt the underpinning, the philosophical underpinnings that I have. Great, who cares? But you know, if you were able to say, well, I touched this many people's lives and they went on to touch other people's lives and the world is and they maybe had a- better,
1: mar- And they had better relationships. Yeah, and, the world's and, a marginally better place yeah, for, they my, did work for my having been in it. Yeah, they yeah. decided they decided to do something with their life that was that was more meaningful and more rich than what they were gonna do before they met me. You go like, you know, they ended up really enjoying nature mm-hmm. in a way that they hadn't. And you know, like those would be things you would go like, hey, yeah, this was kind of like I invested my time well. Like I had a I had a very brief life, and I feel good about the way I invested it. Yeah, it went well. So so okay, so you go over to USC. They've got this humanist associate dean Mm -hmm. and you think she wants to talk to you about your, your work with the secular student alliance and she's like actually I'd like you to have a role with like I'd like in a sense it's like like in your SSA hat you're helping all these campus organizers and then she goes like I'd actually like you to be the campus organizer here
0: yeah so it is a little bit like that and I had to you know I went back to my boss Kevin and said hey could I Could I work remotely a couple hours, several hours a week and go down there? And I said, I think it would be really helpful for me as the person who's managing all of our campus organizing around the country to have my feet in the water with this group and to actually know what I'm talking about, you know, to I mean, I've done campus or I've done I've done organizing and I've been a pastor, but I've never exactly been Been a campus pastor. No, I've never been a campus chaplain. Um, it's something I've never done before. I think I kind of get what it's about, but I've actually never done it. So um, it's sort of a laboratory for me so that when I'm telling other advisors on campuses or other student groups, here's an idea, <clears throat> here's, a, here's something that you could do, I actually have some investment in those yeah. ideas. Or you can say, like, I was
1: talking to a kid the other day and this worked really well.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Or just
1: somebody throw an idea out there and you're like, that would never work. Cause like you, you're like, that would never like, like, you know, sometimes an idea sounds good when you're giving it to somebody else. And then you try to imagine doing that in your own marriage or in your own, you know, with your own kid or, or like for me on my own campus, I'm like, Oh no, that's a stupid idea. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a lot about, um, you know, these early days, it's just a lot about learning who these young adults are and, uh, what their values are, kind of what they're passionate about, and every one of these groups is so unique. It's it's so interesting what drives them, what motivates them, what makes them want to be a group, and more more than that, what makes the individual members of the group want to be a part of the group. So, you know, so far it it, it boils down to you know showing up on campus and having lunch with people. I mean, that's kind of the at USC, you mean? Yeah, yeah. That's like that's it's like showing up. Asking them about their life, kind of finding out what makes them tick, why they're a part of the SSF there at that campus, and and um, yeah, just kind of hearing their stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's funny, but I was I was um, I was out at Chautauqua. Have you ever heard of Chautauqua?
0: Yeah, that's a Christian festival of some sort. It's not
1: really Christian. It's this it's kinda interfaithy. I mean like it had Christian underpinnings, but like they have a whole humanist thing out there. It's like all these rich people that own this like summer community. It's in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. And they have like this amazing auditorium and they would bring in they still bring in amazing like they bring in Washington Post columnists and Supreme Court justices and the Pittsburgh Ballet and all these people. And so they have a religious program, but they also have like an arts program, a a, a drama program. And so like these, you know, like there's just this incredibly rich cultural life Mm. for these people on this lake. Um, And I got invited to speak out there um, last summer just for one day. And it was like a really cool experience and everything. But while I was there, I was talking about working with young people. And one of the, one of the, one of the, Older people said, like, that must be so hard on the college campus. Like, how do you get the kids to talk with you?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I sort of thought like. So revealing. It is because, you know, for a lot of adults, they think that college kids would be a really tough audience. And I, I, I looked at this guy and I said, of all the college students that I've ever asked to go out for a cup of coffee with me, How many, what percentage of them do you think turned me down? And he said, I don't know, like half. And I was like, I have never been turned down. Especially if you're buying. You're like a nice older person says, I'd like to take you to coffee and just
0: hear your story. I've always felt, even when I was a pastor, that one of the big, like open secrets about relationships was that young people want meaningful relationships with older adults And because they have their parents, but they're their parents, you know, they would love to have a parent figure that's not actually their parent. And, 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 and these
1: people would say to me like, but like, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, you don't have to say very much. All you have to do is say, so, okay, like back me up to the beginning. Like you were born where? And then, and like, and then I'm like, how many brothers and sisters? And then what was that like? Yeah. High school. What was that like? are you close to your brothers and sisters? And then you're like, high school, like some people loved it. It was the best time of my life. I had the best friends. Or like, what was it for you? And then they tell you that and you're like, how'd you choose this school? And like, how's it been so far? And what do you, like, like, what are you studying? Yeah. And why? And like, you know, an hour later, you know, the kid goes, this was an amazing conversation. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going like, like, all I've done is ask questions. And then of course you chime in, like if they say, in high mm. school, I played Ultimate Frisbee. You say like, oh my gosh, like I saw this movie about Ultimate Frisbee on yeah. Netflix. And then <laughs> and then you ask like your one Ultimate Frisbee question. <laughs> but like as long as you just ask enough, you, you just chime in enough to let them know that you're engaged. Tracking, yeah. You know, or if they tell a story about like, if they say, and that was when I got sexually assaulted. Right. Then you, then you have to go like, oh, uh, what was that? Like, I'm so sorry. W- like, how, what What happened? What was that for you? Like, all you have to do is be interested. Right. And, and Listen. present. Yeah. And so I was like, these guys are like, but I wouldn't know what to say. And I'm like, you don't mm-hmm. have to say anything
0: for starters. Well, I do think, you know, it's interesting re- reaction because I've I noticed it in myself a couple of times the first few times I was back on the USC campus. And then on a regular basis, I think you're a little intimidated. Yeah, it's a little intimidating, Mm -hmm. you know, because these kids are like young and hip and cool. And, and, you know, I mean, I've got kids almost that age. Yours are a little older, but my kids are just a little younger than this crop of college students. My oldest will be college age next year. And it's intimidating for me sometimes to talk to my own daughter. We sit there with, a burger and fries and sort of like try to break through to something meaningful. And especially because she's my daughter. I was going to
1: say like, I could sit with your daughter and she'd be easy probably.
0: Right. Easier. Yeah. Up. Right. But, but for me, it's like, what, why are you checking up? Or what I didn't do, what do you think I did something wrong? Or right. are you, are you worried? Don't worry about me. Stop worrying about when me. When you go know, to
1: USC, like, when you go to USC and you sit down with a the kid, they're not right. worried about you.
0: And I think if you, for for me, the key is to drop your own insecurity. Like you don't worry about what they think of you. It's not about you. It's, it's about the other person and learning who they are. And once you pay that interest in them, like, like, like we both know, uh, Joey, right? So Joey's the easiest guy to talk to in the world. You could, he did talk to you for hours if he had, didn't have to go to class, but it's. And often when he does, it's guys like that. And often when he does, yeah. <laughs> but guys like that are a great – so they're, they're good teachers, you know, too, about how to engage. And you, sometimes you find one student or two that will really make it easy for you. And then you kind of get a win under your belt. And you're like, oh, well, that's all – I mean, that's all you got to do? Oh, I can do that. Like, this is for dummies, you know? Like I can. Oh well, yeah. I mean, Joey can people. make anybody
1: I, feel like they're really good with college students. But – there are other, you know, like what I found was like the most, the kid who struggled the most, the kid who was the most awkward, they were also the most grateful because mm-hmm. the professors aren't doing that. They're not no. having that conversation. And a lot of times the administrators aren't doing it. Either. So, you know, I mean, I remember thinking, I don't know why this college doesn't pay me because like I'm keeping kids out of the counseling center. The right. The Counseling center is completely overwhelmed. I'm well, like, just
0: imagine what you felt like when you were a college student. And that's what I would say to any adult who's like, what do you talk to them about? Imagine how insecure you felt, how lonely you were, how much you wished you had a date when your friends had a date, or how much you wished that you just had someone to talk to or, or that, or to the, on the contrary, that people would just leave you alone. You know, just those are the feelings that students have, just like any other human being. Yeah. And they're yeah, not.
1: And and, 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 you know, the, 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 the weird thing about it is, is that when, is that you don't like people go like, you have, you have coffee. Yeah. Like, like I have coffee with 20 students a month. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're like, wow, that like, how do you keep coming up? I'm like, how do you keep coming up with stuff? And I'm like, I use the same five questions. <laughs> over and over again I had a father call me the other day and he said I'm taking my 13 year old daughter out for her birthday dinner and he said I I don't know what we're going to talk about and he said <laughs> he said could you know because I counsel sometimes with people and he was like could you just take a half an hour and come up with some questions for me and I was like yeah I zoomed him off like six questions and I was like like, I don't know if all these will work, but like, these are ones that worked with my kid when she was 14. And like, one of the questions was, if, if somebody was going to kill your entire family, unless you married somebody in the next 24 hours. So like, there's no choice. You have to marry somebody. You don't have to be in love with them, but you have to marry them. And like, and and be and 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 like be a companion with them for a year like who who for pure companionship if you were if you had to marry somebody who would you marry and like (laughs) that ended up I still remember her telling me about this kid at her school and she's like I don't have a crush on him or anything but like he's just really nice and he's he he's interested in a lot of things and I think like You know, he's very polite. And, and, you know, and she had all these reasons why, like, he would be a good companion. And, like, so I ended up up sending this guy these five questions. And he he called me the next day and he was like, oh, my gosh. Like, they worked like a charm. And I'm like, yeah. And you know what? They'll work next year, too. Hmm. Like, you don't need to have that. Like, it's... You know, the the trick isn't being good with words.
0: The trick
1: Mm -hmm. is being genuinely interested in the person sitting across
0: from you. Right, and I think that comes more naturally for some people than others. Uh, I think some people are more naturally curious about other people, and some people, whether they're sort of introverted or shy or insecure or just focused on other things, aren't as genuinely curious do you, about think it's, do you think it's more,
1: do, do you think it's more often that people are focused on other things or that their that their fear they're, they're they're worried about how they're coming off so much that they don't like it's not that they don't want to be interested in the other person it's just they're so worried about how it's going
0: sure i think there's that and i think if you know the person well like your wife or your husband or your intimate partner or your kid You kind of have to ask yourself, do I really want to know the answer to this question? Yeah. You know, like I think sometimes we don't want to know, you know, so if you're, you know, if you're married or if you're in a committed relationship and you say to your partner, um, you know, what's, um, it's your birthday coming up, you know, what would you really like to do? You're afraid they're going to say. They want to go shopping and then go to a museum and then, you know, and eat this and go to dinner at this place where you don't like the food. You know what I mean? So just to pick a trivial example, like sometimes I think we don't ask questions because we don't want to know.
1: And, you know, I think that that's where I think sometimes like how about if I take your kid out for coffee mm-hmm. and then you take my kid out for coffee because I'm not emotionally invested in your kid. So I'll be able to be maybe a little more present mm-hmm. in, in a different way than you are. And like, like, and I want my kid to have another voice besides mine. So like, I sometimes think like when I'm trying to build a humanist community, like of families, mm-hmm. I'm sort of like, look, we'll help each other. We'll, we'll, we'll help raise each other's kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they sort of go like, what, like, why? Like, why don't we just each take care of our own? And I'm like, Oh, cause it's so much easier to clean somebody else's garage than it is to clean your own.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a a level of trust that's hard to come by sometimes in in those uh, circumstances. I mean, that's where these communities take time. Um, One of my reactions, if someone said, let's raise each other's help, raise each other's kids, I, you know, is how well do I know you and do I really want you raise helping raise my kid? You know, those kinds of questions probably pop to mind for people. But if you're a part of a an ongoing long-term community where you're in each other's lives well, and, where, and where the
1: values and where the and where the values are are being talked about all the time. So yeah. like on some level like if we're having a lot of conversations about like why forgiveness matters or why why racial uh, understanding matters or or you know how to how to develop a healthy sexuality like and I go like, "Wow, in all those conversations, I love what you say, Ryan." Like, Mm. or, or like when we sing that song about, you know, changing the world for the better, like you sing it and I, like once we, once I, if I'm in a value oriented community, it's a lot easier for me to kind of have not total trust, but like some some baseline trust, like why else are you here?
0: Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things about. Those of us that were raised Christian, many, many of us have observed that the church has been bad with boundaries, um, at times. And so what I find talking with, um, people that are sort of either recovering from their religious background or deconverting or however you want to call it, um, there is a sense in which the church, while it is often a supportive and loving community for people, for a lot of other people, it's been um, a probing, invasive, abusive relationship where the people would say, oh, I'm going to be in your life. And the person's like, no, thank you. I'd like you to step step back. (laughs) And, you know, church people are, you know, and not church church people, but church culture, I would say, um, is not very good with with boundaries and respecting people's boundaries. And um, so- Well, and even in those campus, even in those campus conversations,
1: like guys, you know, you're a humanist chaplain. There are still mm. boundaries. Oh, yeah. I had a yeah. situation a couple of years ago at USC where a, a student was talking about some some problems that they were having in sexual relationships on the campus, mm-hmm. and I sort of took that to be an invitation. They wanted some advice from me, and so I offered some advice. right. And it was not an invitation for advice.
0: <laughs> As you found out.
1: Well, and they, I didn't find out at the time. They, okay. because I'm a powerful personality. And so they sat and listened to my advice and, and acted interested in it. And then came back to me a month and a half later, having taken a class, uh, in which they were asked to reflect on a negative experience and ended up writing me a long letter explaining to me how I had hurt them. Mm. And I was, and, and like. They like I you know I mean I think of myself as a really safe person, right, and I, I I thought I was being safe in this case, but like I misread yeah and and so like yeah,
0: that happens, but you know so I think like, especially for men, especially for i you know I would say privileged men you know white cisgendered middle class men like us, I think it's easy to hey, by the way, can you stop cisgendered
1: like I think I know what you mean, but I know a lot of the people that listen to my podcast don't know what you mean. Like, what does that word mean?
0: Um, I, it, uh, I'm probably not the best person to give a detailed explanation of it, but what do you, um, what, when you use it, what, like, what when I what like I mean is what I mean is that you're not your gender and your sexuality and your sex organs and all of that line up that you are, um, What you see, what
1: you see, what, what people think they see when they're seeing you is actually what they're seeing.
0: Yeah. That you're not trans, that you're not, um, that you're gender kind of conforming person so that you, in
1: that binary, you fit on one side or the other of the binary.
0: Right. And in, in all of this, what I mean is that, you know, when you are driving the car of life, those spikes in the parking lot lay down for you right they're not right. they're not facing this way they're when you drive over the spikes they just lay down for you um instead of poking your tires and there's people in the world for which the spikes are always coming right at them right so um you know i think it's easy for people like us to overstep a lot because people we we just assume everybody wants to know what we have to say well, and that everybody's <laughs> and comfortable they don't
1: always want to know what we have to say and that everybody's comfortable in their own skin
0: yeah or or just that you know, I used to teach intercultural communication at Azusa Pacific um, before they wouldn't have me anymore because I couldn't sign their faith pledge. But one of the things I had the privilege of doing was um, working with students, college students uh, in in a classroom environment around um, cultural differences, uh, sexuality, uh, race, gender, um, class and culture. Um, and it was part communications theory and part um, cultural studies and, and it was interesting to observe even in my class, the way in which gender and culture and sexuality affects a person's, uh, the way that they engage in group dialogue and group experiences. So, you know, white men in a, in a, in a circle of eight white men, everybody's jumping in, saying what they think, talking over each other and nobody's really sort of very plussed about it. You know, they're just, they're just, uh, kind of like, yeah, that's how we talk, right? Like you get together with your family and you just march all over the top of each other and everybody's like, whew, that was an exhausting conversation, but that's how we are as a family. Whereas I think women, people of color tend to often, um, feel like talked over much more than, than, um, than, than you or I might feel. And I think it's important, especially on a campus environment to really be sensitive to those kinds of situations where a person may not want your advice. They may just want you to listen to them. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and that's exactly, you know, and in this situation, I just like, part of it was about, I think maybe some of it had to do with gendery stuff, but I think a, a big part of it just had to do with, I assumed a level of trust that I hadn't earned. Like all these yeah. other students trust me and this kid came in and she knew all those other students. And so like, I just sort of assumed like, Hey, she knows Bart's a safe, cool, trustworthy guy. Cause that's what, you know, that's the word on the campus. But right. like, she, she didn't like, it was like, you haven't earned this with me mm, and I'm so real, important. you know, and like, And so the long and the short of it is, is that, yeah, like when I talk about the value of an adult showing interest in a kid, there are some trust issues. There are some Mm -hmm. boundary issues, but even, even, even having put all that out there, I still say you're right about that secret that many young people would jump at the chance to sit with an adult. And and it's not always going to go to some deep, hairy, yeah. difficult. It's just going to be like, what are you majoring in? What are you studying? Why did you choose that? How did that work? And it just helps it helps young people clarify who they are and what their values are and what you know, what they're interested in. And sometimes magical stuff happens in those conversations.
0: Yeah, and I've you know, I find and I've only been on the USC campus briefly, but I've worked on other campuses and other environments in which I feel like it's also helps clarify my values. It it helps me think through things that maybe I thought I had settled in my mind and the person would bring up a topic that I, that I haven't fully settled in my mind. Um, And I'm not a person that, that really easily settles things. You know, I'm much more, my disposition, my sort of intellectual disposition is more to keep questions open. and. So like for instance, you know, I was uh, at one of the Monday night SSF meetings at, at USC the other day and they were just sort of getting to know me because I had been there when you were there as a guest and uh, I was a guest of yours, I mean to say, and they, you know, asked, peppered me with questions about my life. But those, some of those students have graduated and there are new students and they said, uh, you know, ask, just asking me all these questions and. And, and Joey, man, he's the one with the questions. He's a good question asker. And he said, you know, how do you feel about violence? I mean, there was a lead up to that. It wasn't just out of nowhere. And it's an interesting question, you know, because as a Christian, I had a certain view about violence that comes from my, um, sort of nonviolent, pacifist, um, Christian background. But my views have kind of shifted a little bit around that, you know, and, um, and the the honest question is the honest answer is, I'm not sure what exactly I think right, about the role right. the role the role of violence in um society. I mean, I can say for sure that I would love it if people could work out their differences without resorting to violence. That's of course, an ideal that I would aspire to and that I would hope our society would eventually aspire to. But there's also a reality about there's the, no reason to believe that situation will ever. That's right. So but but then so then in the murky middle between oh let's not embrace violence at all and let's use violence to resolve all conflicts and just kill each other and beat each other up or whatever there is a kind of really complicated question around if when so is violence
1: that, justified
0: Yeah. When is violence justified? And I don't have a clear, I mean, I, I, I'm aware of what the major schools of thought are about it. I'm not an expert, but it was just, again, an example of a student saying, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, gosh, I,
1: I don't know. They really, wait till they start talking about drugs.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. We've talked about drugs too. Oh, (laughs) they screwed. They, they,
1: I mean, like I, you know, like they really turned me around about like psilocybin and all these psych, psychedelic drugs And and, and what they did was they listened to me talk about my values of Mm -hmm. wonder and gratitude and relationship. And they were like, but what if we told you that there was a drug you could take that would shortcut you to feeling a sense of connection with other people? And I was like, oh, wait, but like I'm, you know, and what it boiled down to was I didn't have. Like and then they should and then they were like you taught us that we should make decisions based on evidence. Well, we have. You, would you like to see the studies? And here's the data. And here, and they were like, <laughs> and they were like, so are you in? Damn kids, are you in? And I was like, <laughs> no. And they were like, why not? And I was like, just because I'm scared. Yeah, but like to admit, like yeah, this is check with my wife. <laughs> this isn't based on anything. Like like and so like I haven't gotten to psychedelic drugs yet, but like it's on my bucket list. Right and it sure as heck wasn't yeah and they changed w- you they affected you that's awesome oh my awesome. gosh oh my gosh and and so um yeah and 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 again it was like a conversation that was rooted in a shared value system mhm and they were just like well if you really care about these things right you know and they the same with veganism like vegetarianism yeah, oh man. I was hardcore like, vegan i don't want to be like at, at that like <laughs> like like you know, and so I feel you, you know, so I, but I ended up like a reducitarian. like I end up like radically reducing the amount of beef and, and all meat that I eat. Right. And it was, you know, and it was, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the real hidden pleasures of engaging with young people and like, is, is the way that it, you know, the, the way, so, and sometimes like I can remember saying things or doing things and looking in the eyes of students and seeing their disappointment in who I was. Mm. And, you know, it's like that, that Jack Nicholson line in that movie, like, they make me want to be a better man. Mm-hmm. You know, like where you're like, these kids look up to me and I just let them down.
0: Yeah, no, I had the same conversation about food the other day. Or similar, you know, about about food over at lunch. We were at Good Karma Cafe eating a, which is
1: a vegetarian,
0: vegan. Yeah, vegan eating thing. eating a, a very um, interesting, uh, what I've come to call vegan slop. It's like slop. It's it, it's tasty and it's nutritious and it's not much to look at. And um, anyway, I was telling them how. I had really reduced my intake of meat and my girlfriend is a vegetarian. So that really helps because we don't cook it at home. And when we go out, sometimes I'll, you know, have some meat and they were, it was, it was very interesting. It was almost like they were sort of patting me on the head. Oh, that's really good that you've, you know, good job, you know, <laughs> I was coming like oh, they're, along. Patron- they're patronizing me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they challenged me, you know, and Joey especially is just like, not to bring him up all the time, but like he, he said, you know, I just don't, I don't understand like why, if you, if this is what you believe and this is what you think, and this is the evidence, why you wouldn't just do it. And I'm like, yeah, you got me. Yeah. You I got mean, me. <laughs> my,
1: my, my dad had a professor in college named E. Digby Baltzell. And uh Baltzell was one of the things he was famous for was he had coined the phrase wasp, white Anglo Saxon Protestant. Oh wow. That's like a he, big was a, deal. he was a he was a big time sociologist. But Baltzell's one of his great lines was that we do not choose whether or not to be hypocrites. We only choose the limits of our hypocrisy. That's
0: great. And
1: I thought that, that there's a there's there's a, a, a lot of truth to that.
0: Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I think that the accusation of hypocrisy as a political tool is so hollow. Like to say, oh, you know, Donald Trump is such a hypocrite. It's like, please pick pick a different line of attack. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, so is every person on Capitol Hill. And so are you. And so is your neighbor. And so are your kids. Like, It's like, yeah, please don't think you've won some significant political battle because you pointed out that a politician is a hypocrite. The
1: only one I hate worse than that is Flip Flopper because I'm like, wait, somebody (laughs) changed their minds and you want to make fun of them for it? Right, 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 right. I want to celebrate. Somebody saw some evidence and they decided that they had been wrong about an issue? Gosh. Yeah, what a loser. (laughs) So I I just got to tell you, I mean, you know, I... I loved being at USC and part of the reason I loved it was the students and part of the reason I loved it was because you had access to so many cool professors and so many cool lectures and like it was just a place. I just really want to encourage you like, you know, the cool thing about that title being humanist chaplain is like a guy can write a Nobel Peace Prize, a, a, a Pulitzer Prize winning novel who teaches mm. in the English department? And if you send him an email and say, "Hey, I'm the humanist chaplain, and uh, I just wanted to see if I could ha- grab a cup of coffee with you." Yeah, they'll go like, "Oh yeah,
0: sure." Like right, and so like, and it comes from a USC.edu email address, and I you're met like, "So oh, many yeah. amazing
1: people, um, you know, astrophysicists and and behavioral psychologists and 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 political scientists, and and so you know, but, but the other thing was is that those people. I mean, not only were a lot of them humanists, whether they knew it or not, you know, Mm. a lot of them were secular. I mean, they were all secular, but like a lot of them were like also actively trying to make the world a better place and cultivating, you know, all these good things. Right. But they also were one of the, they they were one of the ways that you got to students who don't walk up to the table on campus. Right. I had professors who would call and say, hey, I've got somebody I want you to meet.
0: that's a good point
1: I just like like you know at some point I should probably just send you a list of like here are the five coolest professors that I met while I was there.
0: please but I'm telling you I would love that I'm
1: telling you with that title you can just flip and call anyone I mean sometimes I say to people like you should declare yourself the humanist chaplain of Cleveland or you should declare yourself the humanist chaplain of the University of Wisconsin because like if nobody else is taking that title and you take it you like I—I I never said I was the humanist chaplain of USC. I just said I was the humanist chaplain at USC. Mm-hmm. Um, but like all of a sudden, people wanted to talk to me, right? And it's a, it's you know it's an unbelievable entree.
0: Well, in the, and in the case of USC, you really are the humanist chaplain of USC. Like it, there's an official role for it, you know. And a lot of public universities like UCLA, it's a little harder. Yeah, you kind of have to be university of Cincinnati yeah, or university of Cincinnati or, or, you know, any place else you have to sort of be a freelancer. That's sort of, you know, building good relationships with the administration because of the sensitivity around religion. The students can organize, um, and it's, but the, the administration can't officially say, well, they could, but they're scared about it.
1: Yeah. And, but like, what's interesting is like, it you like this, this, this afternoon, I had lunch with a suicidologist, an expert in suicide, who's a professor mm. at UC. And again, mm. like all I had to do was drop her a note and say, "I'm the humanist chaplain at US at UC, at UC," and all of a sudden she's like, "Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to talk to you." And so, yeah, it was amazing.
0: That's cool, man. And how is it going at at Cincinnati? How uh, it's are it's, you? How is it? Your how are you finding students? Are you just they it's a, it's different
1: like this is a big state school where you know half the kids are commuting they're mostly mm-hmm. local um they're not all this it's not it's not as competitive it's you know it, it's a different it's a different vibe and yet you know there's a lot of there's and and, and of course this is the midwest you know like we're just above Kentucky and mm-hmm. so you know there's probably it's not as, as secular an environment in general. Like m- right. many of these kids are sort of Christian by default. Um, but a lot of them at a school like this, this is the first time that they've ever really had their faith. They've, they've ever really thought about their worldview or they've, mm-hmm. they've understood people of other worldviews. So I find that like the work among the Christians is there's more, I do more work among the Christians in terms sure. of having meaningful conversations with kid, with believers um aimed at just helping them understand that like there are a lot of different ways to pursue goodness and uh and the secular kids it's much they, they are just they can't believe that there's somebody there for them
0: right that's amazing i mean i at ssa here we've um started talking more about you know, atheists, agnostics, humanists, and questioning students. So, you know, if you imagine yourself being raised Christian in a place like Cincinnati or, or Louisville, Kentucky, or wherever in the Midwest and the South, and you start to have serious doubts about your faith because you've taken a science class or you've taken a cultural anthropology class and you figured out that people have been worshiping and believing in gods forever, but they're all just different ones. And when you try to figure out which one's the right one, it's a pretty tricky enterprise. And And now you've got a kid who's a Christian and his parents would, you know, would be devastated. Who's he going to talk to? Who's he going to talk to? You're not going to go to your pastor and ask that question. You're not going to go to the imam because you, why would you, you're not going to go to the, you know, who are you going to talk to? And, and good chance if you go to the psychiatrist or the psychologist, they're probably a Christian too. And they might see your Uh, questioning as a, as a function of a kind of adolescent crisis or something like that. And so I've been saying to the staff at USC, I really want to somehow find a way to say the humanist chaplain is not here to disabuse you of anything. We're here to listen and be compassionate listeners and to help you process, uh, you know, as a companion, to process the questions that you have and, and to, point you towards some resources to help you answer those questions. And if you end up being a Christian in the end, then great. And if you end up not being a Christian in the end, you know, maybe you'll be a Buddhist, you know, a non-theist Buddhist, or maybe you'll be something else. But at the end, the end is not the point the, the where you end up is not the most important thing. It's that you are given permission to ask the the next question, whatever the question is that you have on your mind at this moment. Yeah. And there's not a lot of people that are, you know, if you come from that faith-based environment, and I can imagine, you know, in Cincinnati where students, as you say, are default Christians, and, and yeah, by defa- by default, there's also sort of secular, right? Because when they try to figure out who to who to date and who to marry, they're not asking Jesus. They're thinking about it and evaluating and saying, this is the person I want to marry. They're not – Yeah, when that, they try- that
1: nominal Christian. The, the, yeah, the... They're,
0: they're de facto atheists as it is you know they're not really appealing to their religious faith to answer any major questions
1: yeah and you know what what's interesting i mean like i I, one of my first conversations out here was with a christian guy whose family is christian his his girlfriend was christian all his friends are christian and he was struggling with the faith and he came to talk to me and i think he thought i was going to like show him how to be a humanist and i was like (laughs) let's talk about this and, and his christianity wasn't badly broken It just, it just needed a tweak, you know, like, and, and, and like, because I used to ride that motorcycle, I still know how to fix it. And, and, and you say like, well, you know, and he was surprised because I was like, you know what? I think your best move is to become this kind of Christian, a little bit more progressive Christian than you were, Mm -hmm. but like that way you get to like your whole tribe speaks that language, right? That's a better, like you want to pursue goodness. Probably you're going to have an easier time pursuing it at this stage in the game as a Christian.
0: And he was like, "Yeah, and then yeah, and then if he was and shocked. if then he knows then, too, that if at some point in the future it becomes unbearable, like it did for you and me, that the cognitive dissonance just becomes too much. You also know that there's another path that you could take if that's you want right. to. That's right. You know, it's there for you when and if you need it. And I think that's and and it's not it doesn't mean that you're going to go, uh, you know, off the deep end doesn't mean that you're going to become a serial killer. It doesn't mean you're going to, you know, like that. This is humanism is a path for you if, and when you need that. But yeah, you're right. Like if the goal is to pursue goodness, then. And if you pull short shortest pathway to that. And
1: if you pull somebody out of Christianity before their time, mm-hmm. they're going to suffer mightily. I've seen it happen over and over again where somebody like got jumped, you know, jumped into Christian, jumped into secularity. Mm-hmm. And they weren't done with Christianity yet and they were haunted by a God they quote unquote didn't believe in Mm. and they felt guilty and terrible and they were lonely and they hadn't yet come to see any value in pursuing goodness in a secular way. It was horrible for them. And so like Mm. I'm not I'm not out I I think that that's one of the real I, I love it that you're sort of saying to be the humanist chaplain means that you want to see people thrive in whatever way is going to make them thrive.
0: I remember when I was teaching at Azusa and I had an Egyptian student, one of my best you know, students that semester, just super diligent and super curious, always wanted to meet with me after class and in between and have coffee, whatever. And he came to me one day and he's like, I really have a a burden I can we can we talk and I said sure of course so we met and had coffee and he said you know as you know because he had written some biographical stuff for the class because it was about culture and I had them reflect on their own cultural upbringing and where they came from what their location was so he had already described to me in a in a paper that he was raised in Egypt by a Muslim father and a Christian mother so he had this sort of dual religious affiliation in his childhood and he felt the pressure at, at Azusa to decide to become a Christian um, and he said, "I just don't know how to deal with this pressure. Like, I, I feel like I, I don't know what to do. What should I do?" He said, "Should I be a Christian or should I be a Muslim?" And I said, "Do you need to decide? Like, yeah, where's do, the
1: pressure are, coming from? Are
0: you, are you in a rush to like? So let's, let's say you decide right now that you're going to pick, I don't know, Muslim. Let's say you're going to just right now you're going to decide that you're going to pursue that path and you're going to leave Christianity to the side. Now what?" is your life better is it like what's the what's the purpose of having to decide this right now why don't you take your time why don't you explore both why don't you engage in the disciplines and the rituals of both and see where you find meaning and value maybe one day it'll be neither but but there's no like you don't need to decide and a lot of times people will come to me and I'm sure they do to you too and they say well you know I read your blog or I heard your podcast and I too am struggling with my faith and I don't know what to do. You know, I have these questions, but I also find some value in Christianity and my family's Christian and I just don't know what to do. And I I very often will say to people, what's the the one thing that's troubling you the most? Like, what's the question that you're really stuck on? Work on that. Like, you don't have to figure it all out by tomorrow at 3 p.m. Like, it's not a race. It's not, there's no final exam. Like, you don't have to solve this right now. Take it at your own pace. Nobody's looking over you. I mean, there might be some people looking over your shoulder, but there's no judgment. That's the whole point of humanism is that there's not this sense of judgment. Like you've got to get it right. Like I, m- I remember when I first started writing the, the year without God blog, there were so many atheists who said, you're not doing atheism right. And and I said, oh my gosh, all my life I've had Christians tell me I wasn't doing Christian, Christianity right. This is great. Now I'm not doing atheism right. Oh, I'll never get it right, you know? And I just thought, no, I'm not the kind of person that gets it right like the way that people want me to maybe. But I think people feel that pressure. Like they're not doing Christianity right because all the Christians are telling them that. And they're not doing atheism right because they're not like, I don't know, Richard Dawkins, like sort of angry and hostile towards people of faith or whatever. And again, apologies to Richard. Like he's not always that way to to people, but that's his. You know, he he bears that mantle. So I don't know. I think people just need to have freedom, freedom to explore what's on their mind, freedom to have an opinion and then change it tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I guess the the older I get, yeah, the less interested I, the, the less important it is to me what somebody believes, and the more important it is to me um what they value and what they're what, what 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 they're trying what what they care about and who they care about and i am yeah when I, you know and, and and i sort of I, a lot of times i feel like it's almost like a trick because i feel like if you can get somebody to value loving relationships and to value making things better for other people and to value wonder and gratitude i oftentimes feel like like That's probably the best and surest path to get them. Like a lot of times, like I've seen people like that are pursuing those values and they end up giving up negative religious ideas because they're like, this is an impediment to loving relationships. This is an impediment to making things better for other people. And that's a much better reason to abandon a bad idea
0: right uh, oh, to, is, i agree
1: is to abandon it cuz you're on your way to loving somebody because you're on your way to helping somebody because you're on your way to appreciating your life and you go like yeah, yeah. Th- this isn't my way um yeah hey man i i it makes just talking this way like i know we're like sort of you know there's a crude way of saying what we're doing to each other right now um we're patting each other on the back as they might say <laughs> um, but I'm just so like I hated leaving. I I didn't hate leaving LA. It was a hard place for my wife, especially. And I'm really glad we're back here in Cincinnati. A lot of good things are happening here. That's Um, amazing. But I hated leaving at USC and I hated leaving that student group that I just thought was the neatest student group in the world. And it just, I'm really, it really makes me glad to hear you talk about having lunch with students that way. Um, I'm just really glad, yeah. I'm just really glad you're there. and, and
0: well, I'm, and i'm I'm, I'm grateful. really grateful, yeah, and I'm grateful for the the path you trod ahead. And, you know, we're all all of us products of the people in our lives and the and the way that they've made it possible for us to be the way we are. You know, we're none of us got to where we are by ourselves. and and so, I mean, you've really sowed the seed of this really supportive, connected, you know, engaging community. And, and so I'm, you know, now the beneficiary of that. And I, I'm sure it must feel, har- uh, you know, it's a little anxiety producing, I'm sure for you to wonder how like your flock is doing, you know, in, in LA and, and to perhaps
1: less, less, less so now than an hour ago.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, and, and to know too, that you could pick up the phone anytime and ask me and we can and have you out to, I mean, where you're going to be here in a couple weeks. Yeah, to screen, and, that uh, movie. Yeah, screen, to screen that the movie. To screen the movie, and yeah. I heard you're going to be at Sunday dinner. So, yeah. um, and we'll we'll hang out. And um, all right, baby, I'll you see know. you at dinner. It's, yeah, man, and it's it's your it's your group forever as long as you're alive, and even after you're not alive, uh, it'll be you, you, as your you, mark is there. I wish that was true,
1: because as you know, in three years, nobody will know my name.
0: <laughs> but that's, that's right. not
1: true no they just turn over you know they keep coming like that's the beautiful oh, the students, thing. The students oh yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah the students yeah they just keep coming they just keep coming. well what's funny is because i'll you know doing working with ssa i thought oh well, this will be nice because i have this reputation as this guy who gave up my faith and students will be like oh that's cool ryan wants us to start a group at the, they don't know who i am yeah no that was years ago they were in high school when I did that. Yeah. <laughs> they were not paying attention to my existential journey.
1: Nah, and you know what? <laughs> Who we are isn't nearly as important as the fact no. that you sit across the table and you're just interested in what's going on. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. I'm, I, I will see you at dinner in a couple yes. of weeks. Yep. Thanks for doing this, baby. I'll
0: talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Bye bye. All
1: right, that was me and Ryan Bell. You want to find out more? You want to tell me what you think? Go to bartcampola.org. You want a Robert Ingersoll quote? Here it comes. And it, you know this is especially helpful to me right now when I am pretty discouraged about American politics and not sure that America, the United States. Or this present sort of political atmosphere. Like, I'm not sure that we're going to survive. And I don't mean like as a people, or like I, I, like there will be a building where my building is right now. But I mean, I think that there could be a major change in the way governments and corporations and individuals operate. And sometimes that scares me. And I go like, oh my gosh, what if our democracy collapsed? And then I Think to myself wait a second regimes fall all the time empires fall civilizations fall and new civilizations rise up in their wake and sometimes even take the best stuff from what came before them and reconstitute it into something better and then i came across this quote robert ingersoll said in the presence of eternity the mountains are as transient as the clouds in the presence of eternity the mountains are as transient as the clouds I'm not even going to say a thing about it you know what that means and hopefully that kind of perspective is helpful to you as I promise you it is to me right now all right there, down and dirty podcast, got it out there. Coming back with another one soon. Looking forward to, looking forward to the conversation. I always love to hear from you. Catch you next time. Bye. Do I seem to have a hard time cutting off this podcast? I do, but it is happening in three, two, one. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo please visit barcampolo.org.